So we had a really awesome interview. We did. I'm so excited to bring this interview to everybody because Andrea Owens, an expert in the inner critic, which is what we talk about often. And on top of that, she's an expert in shame resilience and how to manage shame and what that looks like because a lot of us, it's an icky, icky topic and we don't want to think about it. But she brings it to the surface and deals with it in a really beautiful way and is certified in the work of Brene Brown, who we also reference often. Mm -hmm. We love Brene so much. And it's crazy because I was thinking about this. I have, I want to say it's been like seven years. I feel like that's a long time. But I remember distinctly when Jake and I were living with his dad the first time when we were building our first house because we had to live with him a second time, which which it sucks to have to live with a parent twice, by the way. <laughs> Just side note. But I remember the long drives from that house to work. I would listen to Your Kick-Ass Life. I loved that podcast. I was an avid follower of Andrea and Owen. And I can't believe that seven years later, I'm like, I can't believe, you know, we interviewed her. Like we got to talk to her and meet her for real. So it was just kind of one of those things where it was crazy to to be a fan and then have her as someone who would talk to us and be on our podcast and bring her amazing insight and knowledge training to our audience. So yeah. it was just it was kind a bit surreal. <laughs> it was it was mind blowing. <laughs> it's one of those cool moments that you just never see coming. So do you want to let our listeners know a little bit more about her? I would love to. Awesome. <laughs> Andrea Owen is an author, mentor, and professional certified life coach who helps high-achieving women let go of perfectionism, control, and isolation and choosing courage and confidence instead. She has helped thousands of women manage their inner critic to create loving connections and live their most kick-ass life. She is a proud author of How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, 14 Habits That Are Holding You Back from Happiness, as well as her inaugural book, 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life, BS-Free Wisdom to Ignite Your Inner Badass and Live the Life You Deserve. When Andrea is not juggling her full-time coaching practice or hosting retreats, she is busy competing in triathlons, chasing her 11-year-old son and 9-year-old daughter, or making out with her husband, Jason. She is also a retired roller derby player, having skated under the name Veronica Vane, which is so badass. That is pretty badass. (laughs) This interview, hopefully you enjoy it and you get some good takeaways because I know she's got a lot of really awesome tools and takeaways for you today. So without further ado, here is our gal pal, Andrea. Welcome to the Art of Getting Your Shit Together podcast, where each week we help you identify the bullshit that's holding you back and discover the courage to take action to create a life you love and enjoy. Today we have on the podcast, Andrea Owen. We are just so thrilled to have you on our podcast. We really value everything that you bring to the table for women dealing with inner critic, talking about having that self-confidence and really learning how to manage that part to be our best selves. Andrea Owen, welcome to The Art of Getting Your Shit Together. I'm so excited to be here. I love the name of your podcast. It's generally my pleasure. Please, if you wouldn't mind, give our listeners a little snippet into Andrea Owen's life and how you came to be as this amazing influence. 
Well, it's kind of a funny, not funny story, I guess, because I heard about life coaching back in probably around 2002, maybe 2003. And I remember exactly where I was sitting at our computer in our, I mean, God, this was like the dawn of the internet practically, but I was reading and it's funny, the the coach whose website I found was also a coach's training institute whom I know now, his name is Steve Mitten. And I was like, what is this life coach thing? That is so neat. Cause I was thinking actually about becoming a therapist and I just, it didn't seem there was something about it that didn't seem really appealing. And so when I found out what life coaching was, I was like, I am sold. This would be an amazing job. And I was telling my, my then husband, I said, but I feel like to be a really great life coach, you would probably need a lot of life experience. And at the time I was 25, you know, and uh, I'm like, so I don't really have a whole lot of life experience. Well, funny story, a few years after that, he and I had been married for a couple of years and we were planning on conceiving our first child and he had an affair with our neighbor and got her pregnant. We broke up. That was a very short version of the story. It was very dramatic. And I started dating someone whom I thought was Mr. Right. Um, it turns out he wasn't. He was a con man who lied about having cancer to cover up his opioid addiction, conned me out of thousands of dollars, lied to me about everything, and then I was pregnant. And so I was like, we broke up. He went to rehab and fell in love with someone at rehab. And I was like, okay, so now would be a good time to be a life coach. <laughs> <laughs> but really I had that feeling of like, I need to get my shit together and, and please understand like my family and friends are like, you're going to do what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I was also finishing my bachelor's degree in exercise physiology and, and had a background in, in other things. I also have a degree in fashion merchandising. And so my family and friends were like, okay. And they were somewhat supportive, but I persevered and made it through. And it was one of, it was a completely life-changing experience. Just even doing my own work, you're sort of mm -hmm. like forced into it. It's like something they don't tell you from the beginning, but that's how I got here. And that was, oh my gosh, I started that whole process in 2007. Nice. So it's been nice. 12 years. Mm -hmm. And that. here you are literally kicking ass. I know. Most <laughs> what days, is yeah. Some days not so much, but most days, yes, I can I can readily admit that I am. <laughs> That's awesome. And you have a business now called Your Kick-Ass Life, which we follow your podcast. And so our listeners can go follow your podcast after this because I know they're going to want to know more about your story and all of the awesome things that you put out on that. But tell us a little bit about Your Kick-Ass Life. It started another kind of funny story. So I started blogging around 08 under the URL live your ideal life, which is so life coachy. And I'm kind of cringe when I think about it now, but I just started writing about the things I was learning in coach training. And I also really started to, so I was a writer a long, long time ago in my late teens and early twenties, mostly writing about like, you know, how my boyfriend broke my heart and angsty teenage stuff and things like that. But then I didn't write for a long time and I sort of lost myself in my twenties. And then I picked it back up again with a blog and just thought, oh gosh, this is a great and just word vomiting all of this stuff, not really thinking anybody would read it. And they did start to read it. And that's sort of where it started. And then in 2010, as I was like finally finishing up certification and having a website built and I thought, you know what? And it was actually my best friend said, live your ideal life just doesn't sound like you. Like you're way too enthusiastic for that. Like it's just not a match. Mm -hmm. And so we were talking about like, what's something that you say all the time? Or what's your favorite saying or quote? And I said, well, I always tell people like, life's too short for it to not kick ass. Like, it's true. Like, if you hate your job, like, is there anything you can do about it? If you, 
if someone is like shitting all over you, like maybe you could say something, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> just up with it. maybe you could say so something. <laughs> I, we, we just started, I started throwing it out and I looked it up and your kick-ass life was available. And I, I wanted to make it, having it be my kick-ass life. And I actually know the woman that owns that URL. She's been one of my clients. Um, but I didn't want it to be about me because it wasn't about me. It, it was about them. It was about my readers and the community. And so that's why I named it specifically Your Kick-Ass Life because I wanted it to be about everybody. Awesome. Well, I know that you are an expert on the inner critic and shame, which is really why we brought you here today. We have a VIP Facebook group and in the group, we always ask people who want to join two things that they want to do to get their shit together. And this one comes up a lot, but Lindsay and I never felt quite qualified to talk about this. She's a beginner life coach. I'm a business owner and I know that I struggle hard all the time with an inner critic and then and then shame and the dance that they play together. And we thought, well, shit, like you're the best person to talk to us about this. So we want to talk about both shame and the inner critic, but I would like for you to tell us what do you think we should touch on first? So first and foremost, like you want your inner critic to like come full front and center, start a business. Uh, (laughs) Absolutely. 100% agree. That will bring it all out in full effect and be the biggest personal development workshop that you'll ever do. And if you persevere, like you have to be doing the mental work. I'm doing a keynote next week and like for people who are starting their own businesses and like this is what I'm like emphasizing is that you can have all the strategy in the world and that's important. Like read all the business books, hire the business coaches and that's important. But I honestly feel like it's only about 20, 25% of the whole game that your inner work and your mindset, I mean, this goes into like trauma work and your family of origin BS and your inner critic and your obstacles, like the stories that you tell yourself, mm-hmm. that's yes. what's all important because I get all fired up about it. Okay. So there's that. And then also the dance between shame and inner critic to me personally, the inner critic is just shame manifested is Mm -hmm. shame with words because every time you're beating yourself up, it's either because you have experienced something shaming around that before, or you're afraid of experiencing something shaming before, or you're afraid of how other people are going to perceive you. You're afraid of being perceived a certain way, or you're afraid of not being perceived this ideal way which is the birth of perfectionism. Mm. And so they more than just do a dance. I mean, they are like Siamese twins. And it, it's one of those things too, where I always say like, I like to talk about things nobody likes to talk about. People, mm-hmm. when I, when you talk about shame, people tend to be like, mm. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. But when, but it's, it's, it's a little bit of an easier entry point to talk about the inner critic because it's like, it's like your negative thoughts, your negative self-talk yeah. and everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's usually my entry point is to talk about the inner critic. But like, I'll be honest with you from the top. It's, it's shame, but we don't have to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to talk about it. Actually we do. That's the whole reason <laughs> we're going to talk about shame today. What exactly is shame? Cause I know people can get shame and guilt confused yeah. and like, how can we identify shame when it's happening? I think that the way Brene Brown, and for those people that aren't familiar with her, she's a a researcher who's written many, many books and really dedicated her professional life to researching shame. And, And I'm certified in her work. And so the way she describes it as emotional exposure, risk, and uncertainty. 
more specifically, it's that feeling of not belonging. It's that feeling of being other, being different. Um, and some, I think everyone knows that wash of shame when you make a mistake in front of people and you feel like a complete fuck up. And the difference between guilt is, it is semantics, but it is more important than that. So guilt is more when, and guilt actually, I think, isn't a bad thing. Guilt can fuel us to do better and clean mm -hmm. up our messes. Because if I make a mistake, so for instance, here's a personal example. So a few years ago, we had just moved to North Carolina and there was a half day at school and I didn't know it was a half day. My kids are in elementary school. And it was my daughter's birthday and I had pulled her out of school early. Actually, I don't even, I don't even know. She, oh, she was in preschool. That's right. She was in preschool. She, she was at a different school. So I'm spending the day with her and I had my phone on Do Not Disturb. And it was a half day and I didn't know. And apparently the school had called me several times trying to get a hold of me. And so I'm sitting there with my daughter and I look out the window and my kid's teacher pulls up with my son in her car. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> so I had, my son was just like a mess and I had missed this half day and they were calling and calling and my son was just distraught that I had forgotten about him. <laughs> so guilt would be that I made a mistake that that was so messed up and you feel badly about it, but you know that you made a mistake. So you're separating yourself from the thing. And shame would look like I'm a terrible mother. How could I have done something so stupid? I'm the worst mother in the world. Nobody makes these kinds of mistakes. And shame is more highly correlated with depression, anxiety, suicide, addiction, like all these really difficult challenges that people have. And guilt is indirectly correlated. And so again, guilt can fuel me to like take better care of my schedule, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> and put reminders on my phone. So guilt isn't always bad. Shame is never helpful. Then you start having even worse dialogues with yourself where you start beating yourself up for beating yourself up too. Mm -hmm. That happens a lot. Good point. So we can identify that thoughts of shame, are they the same as the inner critic or are they just similar? Inner critic is shame manifested. So it's like that feeling of not enough, of not being enough, not being, you know, fill in the blank of enough. And then your inner critic sort of speaks it, speaks it out loud. Because, you know, I think where people get confused is they tell me things like, I don't walk around like feeling ashamed, like sure, I've done things that I'm not proud of. And I might have, you know, feel shame every once in a while, which by the way, everybody does. It's part of the human experience. Mm -hmm. But I don't walk around feeling ashamed. And I'm like, neither do I. I don't. However, if you are participating in behaviors like perfectionism, um, isolating and hiding out, numbing out, people pleasing, overachieving to the point of, you know, like killing yourself over it, chronic control, you are doing so in an effort to try to avoid shame. So whether you know it or not, shame is running your life. And I think that's the big epiphany that a lot of people have is it's in the driver's seat of your life anytime. Because people, you know, we wear perfectionism sometimes as a badge of honor. Or might, we might know that we have poor boundaries, but are like, uh, it's fine, it's fine. I'm, I'm just being of service to everybody. I like to take care of everybody. But really, you're doing so in an effort to avoid shame. So shame is in charge of your life. That's where it really, really needs to be looked at, in my opinion. Yeah, especially when the coping comes in, like you said, the numbing and what that looks like and how different people numb in different ways and how that can even really take them away from what the reality is and leave them really stuck, even though they feel like they're making progress with being busy or, or appearing busy or making 
steps towards something they don't really know what and so then it, they're still stuck and then they still feel yeah. like shit <laughs> completely and that's a that's a good point because I said this from the beginning of my my second book when I talk about all these behaviors. Those behaviors probably worked for you for a while, right? Like I always say like perfectionism and overachieving and control got me to graduate with with honors from college. And so what happens is <laughs> and these are noble things. The point that I'm trying to make is not that you eradicate all of these behaviors and eradicate your inner critic, which isn't possible, by the way. It's that you notice when they're happening and you notice when you've crossed the line. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the balance for you? Striving for excellence is really intrinsically motivated. Like, how mm -hmm. is this going to make me feel good? How is this going to be in alignment with my values and make me proud of the women I am? Perfectionism is all about what other people think and outward appearances. So that's an example of, of like crossing the line over into the kind of perfectionism that isn't good for you anymore. So like mm -hmm. isolating and hiding out is not the same as self-care. It's not the same as declining an invitation to a party because you are just beat down tired from the week. Isolating and hiding out is like when shit hits the fan, like because you're beat down tired because your marriage is falling apart and you don't tell any of your fr trusted friends about it. Yeah. Nobody. You're like, I'm going to get through this alone. So there's a difference. And that's really what I encourage people to get to the bottom of are when because I always say there's, I take a lot away from 12 step programs and there's a saying called it works until it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And more specifically, they're talking about drinking. And, but you can say that for all of those behaviors, right? Control, perfectionism, isolating, hiding out, numbing out, they work until they don't. And that's when this conversation actually is a light bulb moment for people. Mm -hmm. And then let me guess, um, you read self-help books, you go to therapy, you get a coach, and then you're fixed. Definitely. <laughs> the end. Interview over. And you never feel shame <laughs> or you never hear the inner critic again. <laughs> like, right? Is that how it's supposed to be? If that's how it worked, I would not have a job anymore, <laughs> nor would y'all. Um, no, it's not how it works. So here's, here's the win. Here's like really when you are you know, kicking personal development ass is when you still engage in those behaviors, you know, you hear your inner critic and you, I always say like you close the gap. So the gap gets really small between, you know, before I'll use inner critic as an example. So you, you know, your inner critic starts talking, which by the way, like the human brain has 12 to 60,000 thoughts per day, 80% of which are negative. And so you, you we have these negative self-talk and you just sort of never notice it. It becomes like this background music that you rarely have ever noticed it's happening. So then like first and foremost, that feels shitty. That affects your confidence, your happiness, your fulfillment, your relationships with others. And then you make decisions from that place. Like if you're in an inner critic storm of epic proportion, you're probably not going to be like super nice to your partner. You might be really short tempered with your kids you call in your dog an asshole, like you just, you, and you're probably, you know, as a business owner, you're probably not like super pumped to follow up with people or check your email or do things that are going to, you know, pitch all these people. Like it doesn't, you're not in that place of feeling empowered to take you to that next level. Not that you need to be in that place 24 seven, mm -hmm. but when you're chronically in that place of listening to your inner critic, it just is a recipe for disaster. And so what I want the win to be for people is that their inner critic does get chatty and they close the gap. So they're only in it for maybe a matter of minutes. I have tons mm -hmm. of examples of myself when I, you know, when I've been in those places of completely beating myself up over something. And then within minutes, even sometimes less than that, I catch myself in it. 
I have a mantra that I say to myself that I encourage people to come up with on their own. And it just, what you're doing is you're creating pattern interrupters for those neural pathways that have been created because that's all it is. And the really great news is, is that our brains are malleable. We can change the thought patterns. So pattern interrupter, just catch yourself in the inner critic storm and then do something about it. You don't need to do positive affirmations. Like if that works for you, by all <laughs> means, go and do it. I don't have, I don't have time. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and they don't seem to work for me. So just a neutral mantra that gets you out of that moment. Yeah. I love your mantra because it's simple. Well, that just happened, yep. right? And then you move on. So how how often do you feel, and I know I just said your mantra for you. I, I know it's because I- You can use it. Everybody, I, <laughs> I'm going to make it a thing, like fetch. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's so fetch. <laughs> how often do you feel like that gets you out of that place? maybe daily, weekly, how often do you kind of catch yourself just to kind of normalize the process of this? Yeah. Oh, that's such a great question, Lindsay. I feel like, and this comes from, you know, doing this work. I do this for a living. I feel like I have a bit of an advantage because it's like in the forefront. I'm talking about it all the time. So I think that I really only need it when things are really bad. So for instance, Mm -hmm. if I get into an argument with my husband, which is a huge trigger for me, uh, you know, having infidelity in my past, my brain immediately goes to that trauma place of like, this is it. It's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's nothing good can come from this argument. That's like my panic. Mm-hmm. And those moments, I have to say my mantra, if I'm falling down, compare and despair. If I see someone who's celebrating, you know, like I had a seven figure year, I'm like, yay. I find myself feeling like success is like pizza like everybody else gets a piece and then once it's gone it's all gone yeah those are the moments that I tell myself but but really I think from having done this work so long and I say this to give everybody hope from having done it for so long it's like in my bones you know when you are trained at something in work at work and you could like give up a presentation in your sleep you know it's just Mm -hmm. like the thing that you know like, that's what I want this to be for everyone. And it totally can, whether you, you know, like sell cars for a living or whatever, you can put this in your bones. And what ends up happening is that you catch yourself so quickly that you can just move on from it. So it's like, if I'm, you know, step out of the shower and catch myself in the mirror and it's like, my friend and I joke, like sometimes instead of a bad hair day, we have a bad face day now that we're middle-aged. Sometimes it's like, oh, dang. Or like you open up your phone, you know, and like, and you're like down here and you're like, (laughs) front camera. (laughs) It's sort of like, I just, now what happens is I just walk by it, you know, and I'm like, oh, and I don't have to like articulate the mantra. So my mantra really is, is reserved for big moments of like arguments with my husband, major compare and despair days, um, massive mistakes as a parent. Like my big triggers is when I use it for, but in the beginning I had to use it all the time. It was Mm -hmm. just, it was practice and practice. And it's like, you really get fluent in this. Yeah. And I hit my first downturn in my business, not like downturn, but it was like a slow time. And I hadn't had that yet because it was gang busters for five years straight. And my inner critic was loud and in charge. And then I started feeling really shitty about the fact that I felt so shitty. Yeah. You know, I was beating myself up for beating myself up. And I was like, honest. yeah. Yeah. And then I, I think I listened, I was listening to one of your podcasts and the person you were interviewing was like, you cannot personal develop yourself out of being human. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so profound because or she didn't say those exact words, but that was basically it. Cause I was like, oh, okay. So. 
I don't have to be perfect. Even though I've done all this work on myself, this shit's still going to happen. Yeah. And I think that is one of the things that I think is so, it brings a, a level of humility into the process of developing ourselves and becoming better all the time. And knowing that we don't have to pretend to be perfect or that being in the personal development space is going to make us somehow not experience these shitty moments in life yeah. and and this shame and inner critic that comes up. So I want to thank you for that. But also the thing that you talk about is beating yourself up for beating yourself up, which mm-hmm. is the ultimate ass kicker. So yeah, I'm glad that you went through that because you as somebody who's in the space you still deal with it. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons we call this podcast The Art of Getting Your Shit Together because sometimes it's a masterpiece and sometimes it's complete dog shit. Yeah. (laughs) You wouldn't want to share it with anybody, but... And I'm so glad you shared that. And it's, you know, one of the things I think that I just wish that more experts would would talk about like their real life examples of... I just feel like so many of us, we put people on pedestals and then that makes us compare our lives to them. But I'm like, please uh, don't ever put me on a pedestal. Here's one thing that, that came up just a couple of weeks ago where I was so frustrated that it came back. And you know, there's a saying in personal development that says um, new level, new devil. And basically mm-hmm. what it means is when you up level or when you have like the next level of success, like new inner critics come in and are like, Ooh, at this level, there's still more inner critics. And my coach, she was, um, I was, I've joined this mastermind and had like, you know, just life ebbs and flows. And I've had like huge momentous growth in the past. Well, probably the past year. And I kind of thought like, okay, maybe it's like kind of put it to rest in 2018. But mm-hmm. no, first quarter in 2019 was still like the, the universe is like handing me all these invitations. And I'm like, Oh, I'm tired. But it still keeps <laughs> coming. And as it comes, like I'm still like more and more success and making big decisions. And this old family of origin shit came up. And I was like, I have dealt with this. I Mm -hmm. dealt with this in 2015. I brought this to my therapist. I did EMDR for this and, and it came back up. And I mean, I remember my very first coach, like in 09, I was talking to her about this same topic and here it comes up again. And I was like, so frustrated. And my coach said, I think the saying should be new level old devil. So it's basically like every time you up level, maybe not every time, but many times when you up level your old, old stuff will come back just for like nostalgia or something. I don't know why. <laughs> By the <laughs> way, remember about this one thing? Like it at you. <laughs> so what I do now is that, and this came from resisting and doing it the wrong way, is like I just look at it like an unwelcome house guest. It's like, oh, you're here. So I open the door and I'm like, all right, come on in. I have the same conversation with my therapist. I have a very similar conversation with a new coach and it still helps. And so I say that as an invitation for people to just understand, and especially things that that are trauma-related, they may keep coming up. And just let them in. Just let them in, and they will leave. <laughs> just mm-hmm. keep working. Well, that's a great reminder that our old shit does come up. And even though we think that we moved through it, it's st- it still happened, and things yeah. could trigger it. So the new devil may show up, but you still have to slay that old dragon that still keeps wanting to rear its ugly head sometimes. So yeah. great reminder. Thank you for sharing devil, that. Old devil, whatever it is, it's it's just something that needs to be worked on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So basically it's recognizing the triggers and the thoughts, saying the mantra, and then mm. 
as we continue to practice this over and over and over again throughout the rest of our lives, because it's not going away, then eventually we become more resilient, I think is the word that's that what I'm it is. looking and for. That's, that's exactly what it is. And that's what I tell people, like, you can basically retrain your brain. Your, your brains were wired for change and resiliency. That's the really great news. That is the really, mm-hmm. really great news. And I love that that I've experienced that enough so I can tell people like you guys like it and please trust me like I am someone with chronic anxiety and OCD tendencies so I know what that like spinning thoughts looks like and what's Mm -hmm. helped me a lot honestly is quitting drinking I've been sober for seven years exercise also helps me a lot because I've been in both places of not exercising for a long time and um seeing how that worked out and played out and exercising but I do think that it, it, like exactly what you said, it's a matter of just, and I even hesitate because I love a fierce throwdown with fear. Like I want to kick the motherfucking door down as much as the next girl. But because when you said like, I think you said slay the dragon, I'm like, yes. But then I'm like, with love and compassion. <laughs> <laughs> without fail, when I do this work with people, especially in groups and they're like, I have my mantra and it's fuck you inner critic. And everyone's like, Yeah. And I'm like, um, there's a quote by Carol, um, what is her name? Normandy. But anyway, the quote is be gentle. You're meeting parts of yourself that you've been at war with. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's such a beautiful sentiment and quote when and she was talking about the inner critic. Can you leave it, mama? I know you're so brave to get the UPS guy. But when we're talking about the inner critic, it's something that you really have been at war with for a long time. And so what I ask people is, and and truly, if that works for you, if telling, you know, if beating the crap out of your inner critic works for you, then I never want to tell people that they're doing it wrong. If that feels mm-hmm. like love, if that is working for you long term mm-hmm. and consistently, then by all means do that. What I have come to see in the last decade plus that I've been doing this is that it doesn't work in the long term. It might feel good and feel a bit of relief short term, but having compassion, even for your inner critic, my friend Kate Swoboda says, our inner critics are just fear. It has really crappy communication mechanisms. And I'm like, this is true. So just put down the boxing gloves and have some compassion Mm -hmm. (laughs) and see how that works out. Just try that for a little while. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree 100% with what you're saying. And in my coach training, they referred to the inner critic as your gremlin. And the whole class was kind of like at first like, yeah, fuck that gremlin and, you know, push it aside. The longer that we talked about it, the more we're just like, it's there. Can't we just acknowledge it and say thank you for this awareness? But it's not serving me right now. And now it's time for me to move past this. And just really coming from a different perspective because – especially with over the years from what I've learned, kind of what you're saying is this devil may show up, this demon may show up, dragon, gremlin, whatever people Mm -hmm. want to call it. But to make lasting change, you can't come a place from restriction and punishment and all or nothing. This all or nothing place, it really has to come from a place of compassion and doing it for you in a way that is going to motivate you for the good of yourself rather than feeling like you have to or you need to or just yeah. because where yeah. it could just be temporary, like why you're white knuckling it. Again, I think that can feel good short term and it, feel, it can feel empowering and that's why people pick it. Mm-hmm. But long term, it really truly is about slowing down and 
and knowing that like this is a part of you and it wants to be heard and I, I forget what it was that you said but it was like you were acknowledging it like I hear you and really the inner critic is just the part of you that's trying to keep you safe because that's where there's um, kind of it's not questionable like okay, this avenue is the safe one you know staying at my job or whatever it is like not rocking the boat is mm-hmm. safe yeah. but that's where your highest self is yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. like the things that you really really want there's that quote it's like cliche personal development quote like everything you want is outside of your comfort zone also everything you want that's outside of your comfort zone is where your inner critic is going to be the loudest yes. so be prepared What's kind of good news, too, is like anytime your inner critic is really loud, that means that you're probably onto something pretty big, that it's Mm -hmm. the louder it is, the more important it is to you. And I just I can't emphasize enough about doing this particular work, knowing what your triggers are, and then also surrounding yourself with people who get it. And even if you're not in the personal development industry, like find that one or two people who are kind of interested in it and like speak the language a little bit so you can have this conversation with them and you can hold each other accountable for it because we all know that person and maybe it's us who's a little bit self-deprecating and does it in the name of humor but a lot of times like what you're saying out loud is what's going on in your head Mm -hmm. and gently you know call out your friends for it or change the subject or you know whatever it is your community matters we all know that but I think also what's even more important is who you choose to share your struggle with and your hopes and dreams and aspirations is even more important because that's where the inner critic likes to be chatty. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I'm so glad that you said that because the people that we share with, we want to make sure that we trust them. I think Brene Brown, she talks about how you write it on a square card. The people who are on your square you can share with because you know that they're going to, they're going to love you through it. They're going to look at it without judgment and really share that empathetic space for you. So I would have completely forgotten about that. So thank you. I know we only have you for a few more minutes. So I want to take you through the questions that we do for all of our guests. And the first one is going to be the big one. What is your shit sandwich? What is the thing that I do no matter what, even though I don't like doing it? I don't particularly like to exercise to the point of where it's like really difficult. (laughs) (laughs) We just got a Peloton bike a couple weeks ago. I have to tell you guys this story. It's so funny. Oh my God, my husband's going to kill me if I tell this story. Maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> now you have to. You can't back out. No. <laughs> He's so cute. So we, I did not want to make that kind of, it's an expensive bike for a stationary bike. Like, let's be honest. It's a spin bike that there's like this cult following. And of course I like drank the Kool-Aid. I'm like, I need to be a part of this. But I... It, I couldn't justify the cost if it was just me writing it. But then my husband's like, if you get it, I'll, I'll do it too. And so I was super excited. I get the bike and I'm like on it right away. And I've been working out for, I took like a two year hiatus, but I've been back pretty much for the last several months. And so I could get on and do like a 30 or 45 minute class without dying. And so my husband's like just starting back up again, working out after a pretty decent hiatus. And so the other day he decided to do a 30 minute ride and um, he didn't have the headphones in. And right now it's in our formal living room as our we're creating a gym in our garage. And so I was coming down the stairs and I could hear the class going and I could hear the instructor. And he's like, he's like, you know, climb that hill, like get up there. And so I was walking down the stairs with my nine-year-old daughter and we both started, we couldn't see my husband yet though. And we're like, go. And she's like, get it, daddy. Yeah. And I'm like, go, Jay, go. And I come around the corner my husband's sitting on the couch. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, 
like <laughs> it was like he only had a few minutes left of the class but it was but it's an ass kicker that it depends on what class that you take but there's been moments where I've been working out and I'm like what am I doing like I'll be like <laughs> running up the hill outside I'm like my face is beat red that's probably my shit sandwich is knowing that this is for my greater good and mm-hmm. I also no longer work out to change the shape of my body which was a really big deal um, it truly is, you know, now that I'm almost 44, it truly is for my health. And I used to say that and not really mean it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be healthy. I love your honesty. <laughs> yeah. but I had went through this two year hiatus and I was like, went through just, I had to do some work and my cholesterol actually went up during that time. And yeah, now I'm here and I'm like, I can honestly say that having coronary artery disease, like a lot in my family that this is important. So that's my, yeah. my long answer of that's my shit sandwich. Awesome. I love it. I love it. It's a good shit sandwich to have. Um, what are your top three values? Always courage. And I feel like it's kind of a cheater value because it encompasses so many different things, but probably courage, trust. And, um, I don't know. I kind of, and I think responsibility Mm-hmm. And mine changed over the years. So trust and responsibility, I think courage will always be my top value, but trust and responsibility are definitely things that I'm working on right now. So that's why they're in there. Awesome. What is your favorite failure? Definitely my first marriage. Yeah. Can you expand on why? My intuition, so I started dating him when I was 17. At 19 or 20, my intuition was like, mm, probably a good time to get out. Mm. you've outgrown this relationship he's not good for you (laughs) and I kept going back and kept going back and making excuses for him and his behavior and I thought well if we get married maybe things will change and they they kind of did but I think it also was because we were pushing 30 and he was just growing up but then when it all fell apart my intuition was also telling me not to marry him I didn't listen but that was I had to learn the hard way about intuition and it wasn't just a whisper that I was confused about. Like it was like practically hitting me over the head just and like getting sick over it. And um, that's my favorite failure because also if he hadn't done what he did, I might still be married to him. I might still be in the fitness industry, you know, like teaching spin class, like giving everybody yeah. else their shit sandwich. And I feel like it sort of was like one of those sliding doors moments where I don't know. And I also did this really woo-woo thing where I got my Akashic records opened, which is super woo-woo. And she told me that the guide said that he had a soul contract to be my catalyst. And so I thanked him in the acknowledgments of my first book. And I said, thank you for being my catalyst. Mm-hmm. That's, there's a lot of grace that comes with that too. And, and thanking the person that caused you so much pain. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I still have moments where I'm like, what a dick. Yeah, well, <laughs> obvious. Yeah, yeah. That'll probably never go away. But it's like on the other side of our failures, too. It's kind of like the other side of our, our fears is the growth. But the same thing with the failures and the lessons that follow are so important. So that's one of the reasons we like to ask that question. What's your favorite quote that you live your life by? I I love song lyrics, I think, too. And um, in the machine, Florence from Florence and the Machine. Do you know Florence Welsh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I... It's poetry. Like I can't listen to most of her songs without crying. But I don't know if I can pick just one. Um, but I think that probably what comes to mind quickly, is, and it might be because we were talking about it, is the quote, it works until it doesn't. And then also, 
there's this ancient Chinese proverb, and who knows if it actually is, or someone just made it up on the internet, but <laughs> it's something to the effect of, and I'm probably going to get it wrong, something to the effect of, if you keep going on the path in which you're headed, you might end up where you're going, or something like that, mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of like a duh quote, but it's it's very much like, when you know something isn't good for you, and you keep going, you're going to end up... <laughs> where you're going. I remember that when I was, when I knew I needed to stop drinking Mm -hmm. and I knew where I was headed. And so that one always stands out to me as well. And it could be like any behavior that you're doing that you know isn't good for you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's so good. Thank you for sharing that. And then the last one is where can people find you and what are you up to these days? What am I not up to these days? Um, (laughs) Easiest place is Your Kick-Ass Life, the website. And Come follow me on Instagram. Send me a DM. You have to follow her on Instagram because your dog is really the star of the show over there. I'm just going to say. <laughs> and she doesn't give a shit about... She, she almost looks like she's embarrassed when I turn the camera on. And so I capitalize on that. But she, all she cares about is snacks and belly rubs. But um, no, I love talking to people on Instagram. It's like my favorite place. And that's probably it. And the podcast. And what am I working on? I'm working on not being too afraid to write my third book. Right before this call, I got an email from my agent and it was about an audio royalty or something. And it's a, it's a married couple and they both replied to my email and her name's Michelle. And she said, it's like, you know, when someone compliments you and it's like, and it feels like a lot of pressure, <laughs> you know, yeah. like something really great happened. And she said, this puts a, puts you in an excellent position for your third book. And I was like, Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Commence pants shitting. (laughs) Pants shitting. Yes. So much pants shitting. Oh, we can't wait to read your third book. Stop. Making it worse. Um. So yeah, that's that's what's going on these days. Okay, and I also have to plug your books because your books are phenomenal. So if anybody likes what Andrea had to say. There is so much more good, juicy stuff in both of her books. So grab her books. Anyway, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank From you the bottom so of our much hearts. for being here today. You are amazing. A great, a great rest of your week. Bye. The Art of Getting Your Shit Together is produced and edited by LD Coaching and Blush Cactus Boutique Design Studio. We would love it if you'd head over to iTunes and subscribe, leave us five stars, and write a quick review. If you enjoy this podcast, share it with your friends so that we can continue to grow our tribe. Tag us on Instagram at tagist underscore podcast with your shares, and we'll feature you on our story. Don't forget to grab our free guide, five things you can do right now to get your shit together and start living your best life over at tagus.com slash kick more ass. Remember your life only gets better when you decide to grow and it's never too late to get your shit together.